it started because my friend actually told the store managers that they should pick me because they initially tried to pick him and he actually was brave enough my friend trey actually was brave enough to say to the store manager at the time you guys are fools because your walls have nobody of color on on them and so like how are you going to be in new orleans and not have any ambassadors of color and so he's like he gave him a list of 10 people welcome to let's get uncomfortable a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Jamie Chen. Hi, I'm Nathan Schiller. Hola, I'm Ines Bebea, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Our guest today is Harold Dale Jr., one of the founders of the 504th Run Crew from New Orleans. There are many reasons why anyone should visit New Orleans at least once in your life. And in March 2020, New Orleans was the host city for Bridge the Gap. That's right, Inez. And yeah, even though New Orleans is known for food and music, it's also a vibrant running scene, kind of the forefront of running culture in a way. For instance, um, I don't know if you guys know, but all the way back in 1986, the New Orleans Track Club was talking about how running used to be a low-key affair back in the day with a few races and minimal sponsorships, but now was becoming um, this very costly thing where shoes were becoming more expensive and race, race insurance was becoming uh, expensive, driving up the prices for races and all the sorts of things that make running inaccessible um, to too many people. So I brought up the track club, not just to mention that, but for our sports legacy segment, because recently it inducted a local New Orleans runner into the Hall of Fame named Junius Nixon. Um, and they said that he was the best overall male runner in the history of their track club. And I guess if you win multiple races a year and your 5K is in the 15s and you run a 108 half marathon, you know, you're pretty accomplished. But as we've discussed on our show, um, black distance runners like Junius have been terribly underrepresented in American athletic life. So, Harold, I'm wondering if you could just begin by telling us a little bit about the role models you've had as a runner, whether it's in New Orleans or elsewhere. Yeah, first, let me say thanks for having me on, y'all. appreciate it. Um, the role models I've had for running in my life are probably just the role models I've had in my life in general. Like, I don't, uh, I'm, I, running's always been a part of my life, and it's been big, but running always has been the biggest thing in my life, so, um, I didn't really keep up with the distance running people and that stuff in my world. So like typically my dad, you know, like just the principles and things he taught me, like, you know, people I've worked with, like my, my close friends that like I take lessons from stuff like that. Just people that raised me, my mom, my sisters, you know, the tribe, you know, take the village. Right. So within all that, the whole village that's kicked in, that would be my idols in running because, you know, running just, just transfers the life to me. So. What was the running scene in New Orleans before you got together with Trey, Lindsay, Denali, and Marquez to start the 504 in 2017? Uh, uh, the running scene was, um, I'm, it was welcoming. I'm never going to say the running scene wasn't welcoming. I mean, as welcoming as it can be, I guess, welcoming the a broad uh, open word. So like, you know, people would be nice to you, talk to you, whatever, but 
under underrepresentation was definitely an issue. Um, you know, you, there wasn't people, the, the community, the running world didn't look like what the city looks like, um, mm -hmm. the demographics of the city. So the city's like, you know, two thirds African American, you know, and the running community does not reflect that at all. So how do we change that? Or how do we get it to the way where it's like, you know, somehow the, that those two thirds of the population sees running as something that's natural or something that's like within the community they should protect participating into. That was the issue that we wanted to tackle. Okay, so then Trey comes up to New York and gets to experience the energy of mile 21 in the New York City Marathon, the, you know, which they got spot. So what did he say that convinced you that what he saw was needed in New Orleans? And why did you feel that you should, that you wanted to play a role in it? He just showed me a video and it was like, the video was super dope. It was like super fresh. Like it was like a video with a bridge and um, Pata, who's based out of, out of Amsterdam. Um, I think it had a little bit of the Berlin Braves in it. Um, Rundum was on it. So it was like these heavy hitters of like, like I didn't know at the time who these guys were, but I know in the video, I was like, yes, this video is dope. I was like, whatever's going on here is fresh. And like, and pretty much I was living that lifestyle. Like it's pretty much what they were promoting was like, oh, like stay out all night, you party. And then you go run and it was like, oh, well, I'm already pretty much on up all night anyway. Cause I was managing, I was like the night manager at these bars. So I was like, I'm already up running between these bars anyway. So like, what's the difference? I might as well, yeah, we'll start this. I'm cool with it. So it didn't take much convincing on my end. So how did you guys spread the word about your first run group and what was it like? The idea started with like, hey, if it was just us five that showed up every night on this night and we were just us five running together, wouldn't it be cool? Like, you'd be cool with that. Like, I'd be cool with that. Like, that's all right. And then I'm like, okay, so maybe we invite somebody every once in a while and then they'll come. So that's what we, like, that's the idea based on. We invited one person. Each person invited one person. Um, and then from there, we just opened it up completely. Just like, we were like, hey, we're still going to let you guys know we're going to start this thing. This is what it is. And then we just had a set date. We opened it up and people came. You guys choose different places to start your weekly runs. I mean, why somewhere different? Why rotating? Um, it was one of the things that we noticed with all the other run like clubs in town is that, um, and not to knock them, uh, they usually start at one place and um, it's like a two or three routes they use and they cycle through them. Uh, we just wanted to focus on more of the, the whole city. We wanted to get all of New Orleans um, and in particular places that people, you know, would say that are like unsafe or like, you know, you're not supposed to go to, um, we like to run through those neighborhoods on purpose, just like to humanize them, to show people that not only are these neighborhoods just like yours, like they're sitting on the porch doing the same thing you do. Like, you know, we make an effort to make sure we say hello, you wait, you're running through these people's neighborhoods, respect their neighborhoods, respect who they are. So we make sure we try to say hello, like, how are you guys doing? And it's like, this is the South, y'all. Like, the South is not friendly. So wherever, like, you guys hear, like, it's, everybody's pretty nice. And you'll get responses, um, you know, and it's, and it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's love. It's beautiful. It's like, and that's what community is about. So the only way we felt like you could actually get community in a real sense is, like, to get it is by actually hitting all of the communities. Um, and it's forcing, like, you know, as, as you, you, you get bigger and you got more people following you, it forces people to like get out of their comfort zone and, and get out of the places that they normally only hang out in New Orleans. Like, you know, it's like just like any other city, New Orleans has its spots, it has its pockets where people only want to hang out. Hey, it's only hang out up here, it's only hang in this spot, whatever. Um, but like, you know, when 
when we take these people to these different areas, like it, it's just hopefully it's giving a little bit of life to that area, you know, and like it's like people are like, hey, this spot's dope. Oh, we ran here the other last week. There's a dope ass bar here. It's like there's a place here you can get some food. So it's like, you know, like add to this, add to the whole part of this is like community, right? Let's get it out there. It's kind of cool because I think what you guys will end up doing is you're also showing other neighborhoods, kids who probably have never seen runners just running through their neighborhood. Like, oh, what are those guys doing? And it gets them thinking. And so, you know, it exposes them to that. And at the same time, you're supporting, I guess, businesses that normally would not get that foot traffic come through. And besides one, do you guys have other runs throughout the week? Uh, yeah. Uh, we do have run, other runs throughout the week. We do a track night on Thursday. I try to make like these. What you're saying is exactly what the issue is, is that like people run through these and they're like, yo, people don't run through my neighborhood because I don't live in a neighborhood. Like, you know, my, my neighborhood's too scary to do that. Or like running is just like something completely foreign to them. Just seeing that and what it, what it triggers in the psyche of a child is like completely like different or just like, you know, the psyche of a neighborhood in general. So you have a very diverse crew, right? Um, and you said that you wanted to make the, um, you know, have like a kind of crew that represents more of the city's demographic and makeup. Do you feel like you're, when you say like, oh, we, we accomplished that and now we're just cruising along or you feel like there's still more space to go either with your crew or, you know, any other, the whole, the whole scene in, in your town? No, I feel like there's always room for growth. Like, you know, I'm always pushing people to grow and do more. Like, you know, there's, there's six other days of the week. I, you know, like I'm, we're, we are the only BTG like affiliated crew down here, really, to be honest with you. And I mean, not to say that means like, it's like you know, BTG is kind of like, hey, whatever. It's like, it's like, you're not like a paid, a paid membership or anything, but you know what I mean? Any, any terms, we, we, we all, we're always telling people like, we'd love to have a crew on this day or whatever. I got ideas, of course, but running one crew or, help, or working with one crew is it's a lot of work. I can't even imagine doing two. <laughs> but uh, in terms of like, I mean, there's always room for growth here in terms of like running and, and getting more people out. The crew is diverse, but just like I'm, I'm sure you guys are aware of running, run, running, run very Caucasian as it is. So um would we want to get more people in the like, community that don't look at running as something they do out yes um so we're constantly striving to get get there um but we made i think we still make really good ends on it so we're about making connections too so we're not trying to take away from um we run a lot with black men run we're very like connected with them and we we support them we love them like because of like why wouldn't you like you know what i'm saying we're all doing the same thing here like, like we we support and and raise all the exercise crews here. You know, we just we just hope that those crews are preaching things that are better suited for today's palette than what the old world is saying. Yeah, I was gonna ask about collaborations with any other running groups in New Orleans. So you've mentioned Black Men Run. Um, have there been any instances where you guys felt that you were not welcome in certain areas or groups that don't want to like collaborate with you like any pushback of like well you don't need to have a group that's diverse like we there's enough but like with what we're doing has there been any pushback like that i mean there's um when you're new to town always people is always going to create waves a little bit it's really weird i always think this is funny because people get like in their ways about human beings being like oh they're i've heard people literally say they're still runners from like you can't 
steal human beings from someone is like, what do you mean steal a runner from you? It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But anyway, like, so yeah, people, you know, when we first came around, there was people not happy about us. And, um, you know, that's just how it goes. I mean, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, we didn't, I didn't care. I just kept doing my thing and we kept doing our thing. But um, there's nobody we don't ever feel like not welcome by or anything like that. But there's definitely people we don't get along with and we don't see, see eye to eye in the community in the run community, um, but that's okay. Um, and that's more of like, maybe not everybody in the crew, it's more maybe just me and a couple other captains. And so sometimes that looks like it's just the whole crew, but it's not necessarily the case. We're, our crew is many people, right? So I can't make the decision of what everybody says all the time. So it's like, especially on I don't like, I would never tell anybody to disassociate themselves with somebody, unless, you know, I it was like, felt like it was warranted. Can't be going out and killing babies or anything. Come on now. <laughs> you, you said that um, some people were like not happy with you. I know you said you want to move on, but like, what do you mean? Like, people were saying, you know, you don't need to be doing this, or how did that go down specifically? Yeah, we. It was funny when you were reading the the opening. I was kind of smiling because uh, we haven't always seen eye to eye with an OTC, um, and and it's more just based off of like diversity issues and um what are you guys doing to to change it and you know conversations that were had before and then it was like you know we're back to square one before we even got to square one so we're actually at square like negative three so it's like what how are we doing numbers with letters what's going on you know so it's like it, it was just one of those things and it, it it just you know and so we probably ruffled a lot of feathers there's a lot of conversations like had but not had and so like, it seems like nothing is being done. So we just decided to like, you know, just make everybody made their own decision when it came to them and it came to that situation and what they're going to do. Um, and that's how we play, play. But we don't, we're never gonna go out and slander anybody or anything like that. Like it's, we're all here for running, right? Like it's just, when it's, when it's all said and done, it's just miles in the end. And it's like, oh, like it's definitely not worth getting upset and like wanting to actually physically be upset and fight somebody for it's like even more so something worth art like yelling about it but like i feel like the cause was worth yelling over i thought that like you know what we were arguing about what we were fighting for was worth, worth yelling over but sometimes the energy is it's, it's better spent held in than fighting so you said that um the population in new orleans is like two-thirds african-american so how does the conversation about diversity and inclusion happen because like you said before like people were upset that they could be like well well you're stealing runners and like you said like how are you still a runner you know people just want to run so how do you bring that conversation into the circles where you guys are in especially that you know you guys have been part of like you know bridge the gap and the bridge the bat bridge the gap is all about that like inclusion so what would you like to see done there in New Orleans to have this conversation more accessible and running? Well, I think the conversation is being had. I just don't think it's being had in certain places, right? So like, and as, as big as NOTC is, they're not, they're also not that big. Like, I mean, there are some races here and stuff like that, but that's a choice that people want to do those races. So I think the conversation is being had in, in, in like in places that, uh, that people are like making these good choices and like, you know, the counterpart to NOTC, like they, they do, they do races. I know they're diverse. And I also know that there's like nonprofits in town that are making these same noise. Youth Run NOLA is making sure that 
they're pushing for diversity and running and they started at a young age it's an after-school program that um takes kids and it turns like it takes them in, and it builds them up all the way like some of them all the way up to a marathon i know that i think we got like one or two marathoners ever but like they got but like they, they build up these kids and and they and they pay for them like for the races and stuff like that so that the, the conversation starts at a young age one but when it comes to adults like how we do it is is like you, you make the conversation can also be determined by you so in our situation um we recently added captain to the crew and we opened it up and we made sure that we wanted to like make it more diverse for that reason so if you can build these things in if you want to like it's like you know i always find it funny people are like oh yeah we're like you know so if we really want to like it's really you know the the whole race thing and things really important to us it's like we're really going to get to we're going to be doing like it's always like yeah it's what's priorities right it's like if it's that important to it you'll do it right away like you know like if you, if you have kids and your, your child's like crazy starving and like whatever you're like i need to get food for the child you're going to do it right away you know what i'm saying so it's like i it's i feel like some of these things in these circles um it took top priority and it did and those conversations did start changing right away but in other circles um it just didn't and it did and it's okay and it's like eventually they'll have to come around to it um and eventually they will hopefully and if not they'll probably just be a little bit behind the times i'm gonna bring the conversation to your identity um so mm-hmm. you your instagram handle you you know you call yourself black korean man uh, so you were born in Korea to an African-American yeah. father and a mm-hmm. Korean mother. And that must have been a challenging relationship for your mother. Um, but there were U.S. bases in Korea, like specifically right in the city center, um, resulting in many marriages of Korean women to U.S. servicemen. How did you end up growing up in New Orleans? Um, yeah, I was born in Korea, yes. I'm proudly half Korean for show. Uh, so, uh, I ended up in New Orleans because my mom actually was down here. Um, and she didn't move down here until I say it was two, maybe it was 2001. Um, and her and my dad had separated by then, uh, still on good terms. Um, but yeah, they, for me growing up in Korea, being a child, I, like, I don't remember much. I mean, I remember being treated as a child. So like I was treated as like a baby, which was good in Korea. It's always a good thing. Um, but in terms of like what they went through, I'm sure it wasn't beautiful. Uh, I'm sure it wasn't pretty. I'm sure they like had to go through ups and downs. Um, I definitely hear about the stories now when I'm being older and definitely heard about them. Like with my dad is still around talking to him about them. Um, and it wasn't easy. I know it wasn't easy. Um, and growing up as a child in that situation, um, it, we, we didn't have it like I don't make it sound like we had it hard at all. Like our family was loving and we, we grew up in a great spot. So um two great parents and they both loved us very dearly and they took care of us. But uh, you know, like in the circles of the communities of Korean communities, it could be tough being in those situations. Oh. Okay. Cause I was just gonna ask if it was really challenging for your mom to settle in the US and then to raise you in a land that's different and away from her family. My mom is like gangster. Um, I'm sure it was hard though. Like I, I'm sure like, yeah, but she's gangster. So it's funny. My dad met my mom in the States. She didn't, he didn't meet her in Korea. So he, my mom was already in the States. Like, um, you know, she had came over, I think post Korean war, because like, they had refugee status to get over here because, and so she came over to make money. Like, you know, back in the days in Korea, my mom was one of three, I think like six or seven, maybe eight. And in Korea, like that's like, it was a third world country back then. So um, she got the opportunity to come to the States and like, you know, to make money and send it home. That's what she did. She met my dad over in the States. My dad entered in Georgia. Um, as she told me, they, 
she used to he used to buy chicken arms chicken arms which means chicken wings and uh from her and that's how they met so um but i'm sure like my mom definitely missed home i know she missed home we talked about that a lot definitely always talked about how she missed home um but you know koreans are just like most communities or of Asian communities or just communities in general of like ethnicities, like they're, they're close knit. So they'll find each other. They'll find each other wherever they are. And, and like, she always found her groups and found her crowds and, and she handles herself. Okay. Like, yeah. And then within those crowds, there are always families just like us. Like, you know, um, you know, I, I got like a, I, we have, I don't know how many families I know that are like same thing. Like we probably, we, we call each other cousins because it's like, we thought we were thinking, like, oh, he must be my cousin. Like, there's not too many people that are half black, half green. He must be my cousin. It's like stuff like that. And yeah, I know a bunch of unicorns out there. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you mentioned, you know, the the two countries. So I'm wondering, like, was was the conversation of race one way in career because you also spend time there? And then was it different in the states? How was it different? How were they different? Uh, it was different just because, um, you know, like, I think the thing is in Korea is that, uh, like I said, I just got, a, I recently spent five and a half years over there. Um, and so those are like more in like years where I could like, you know, formulate ideas and opinions and, and, and it was different because like in, in America, it's, there were times that like my mom was looked down upon in the Korean circle because she was married to like a foreigner. Um, in Korean, in Korea, they can also be like that with people in Korea. Like if, if somebody that's not Korean marries a Korean, they can also be like, oh, you're not as Korean as you should be. Or like they kind of look down on that as well. Um, but I think it's the thing over there in terms of like skin color race in Korea, they just don't have any black people. So like they're not necessarily like racist in terms of like they think that white people are bad or anything like that. They're just kind of ignorant to the situation, which sometimes can be racist though, right? You know, sometimes it can be, it ends up being a racist situation, but it's more of like less like with harm and intent than like, you know, in the States, it's like there's a history of racism here. Um, so a lot of times, um, unfortunately, you find in uh, minority communities, we, we pity, we pit each other against each other. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's, that's what, the commonality is and like in America is that like like the Caucasian male or the, the, the white people have done a really good job of pitting minorities against each other instead of like us uniting and being like hey if we unite we're like the majority where we always look at it as how can we not be the worst one or whatever so sometimes in the states like since it's inherently like there's like a racism here already like other minority groups will pick up that racism and just add on to it be like hey like you know like let's pile onto this group and that group and stuff like that. So it's not, it's a little bit more like, like stab you with a knife here in Korea. It's kind of like slap you with a stick. Like they, like they don't understand, like, like they understand. And then when like you can have a conversation and like, it's like they have the racism, like kind of like stereotypes because they get all their stuff from like TV and stuff like that. But it's starting to change in Korea big time, really big time. It's interesting that you said in Korea, how, you know, race, it's, like racism is not the same as it would be here. And I know I've had conversations with my Chinese friends who are from China and they say that they don't talk about racism or prejudice because they said everybody looks the same. So they said it was something new they experienced here, but you probably speak fluent Korean, right? Read and write? I speak enough. Like I'm not like I'm not hundred percent fluent by any means. I would not say I'm like you I'm not should not be an you know, ambassador, but like I if you drop me off in Korea, I'm gonna be good. 
Like, I'm going to get around and get anything I need to get, like, 100%. I can't imagine how the Koreans there would be staring at you and all of a sudden you just break out and you could just have a full conversation with them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They loved it. They loved it. Like, it was, like, one of those things, like, no matter what I say, they'd be like, oh, you say it so good, you say it so well. And it's like, I'm like, oh, man, you speak Korean just like a Korean. I'm like, yo, I am Korean. And I'd always have to tell them that. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, oh, you're Korean? I'm like, yeah. So it's like, that's the thing about it. And then that's the other one is that you always, when I always like would tell them like, oh, I'm Korean, they'd be like, nah, nah. <laughs> they'd be like, no, you're not. And I'd, I'd have to show them a picture of my mom and me hugging my mom, this little tiny lady. And they'd be like, what, that's your mom? And like, it, it was funny because like, once you would, like, you, you would catch the person, whoever it was, having this full-on conversation with you, and they'd be, like, shocked, like, oh, yeah, you're great, yeah, yeah, so it, it was, like, it was cool, man, living in Korea was a trip, it was, yeah, Harold, can you tell us a little bit more about um, what you were doing there for five and a half years, and, like, some of the stuff that really made it, you know, this, like you just said, a trip, what, what was surprising, what was, like, what are your big takeaways from that experience? Yeah, I was over there teaching English um, as a second language. I just really liked to travel. Like prior to this, prior to living in Korea, um, I was always big on like working and then like take, saving up money and then taking it and traveling for a long time and then coming back and that pendulum, right? And I got sick of doing the pendulum. I was like, how can I like, what's the hustle here where I can travel and still get paid to travel? And I just found teaching was a thing. So like I'm half Korean and, uh, and initially I was going to take a job actually in China with a Disney school. Um, but my mom was like, you go anywhere in Asia and it's not Korea, I'm gonna, it's over. And so I was just like, yeah, all right. So anybody like makes sense. Um, so I went over there just to teach and I just got lucky. And um, I got in this area, the area called Jeju. It's like an island area. My first year there, I was like completely, completely remote, like completely, completely remote, like by myself, nobody else um, on this island. And that's actually when I started running again. Was actually when I started running again on that island because like I was like slowly killing myself almost with the smoking cigarettes, drinking beer every night because I thought that was the only thing you could do. Um, but there was other things to do. So I just started running around the islands and checking out the different paths and you know circumnavigating the two islands I lived in. So I just started like challenging, pushing myself to run a little bit more and stuff like that. So yeah, that's where I got back to it. But like it, I just went back because I wanted to like, like I said, I, I knew that I wanted when I wanted to go to Korea, like I had family there I wanted to reconnect with. Um, and just like traditions and like, you know, just to be Korean, like, you know, like for like, you know, to actually be Korean, and, you know, like for your whole life, if you're like, people are telling you like, you know, hey, you're not Korean, you're not Korean. And I don't, and I think I was like, need their approval or anything like that. But, you know, I'm like, I, I wanted to be Korean for a little bit. And so moved to Korea. And I, was, I was full blown, you know, I got the experience and like, I'm still Korean, you know, but I wanted to live how a Korean lives, talk, you know, wake up do what they do, live that life. It was dope. And it was beautiful, man. Like in the place where I lived was like, just made it that much better. That's the thing about it. So. I think um, it's fascinating. You're probably more Korean and you don't look like, <laughs> you know, in Korea, Korean, you're more Korean than I can be considered less Chinese. Like you're more Korean than I am Chinese because I, I'm terrible <laughs> at speaking. However, I mean, you're fluid in both worlds, but when you come to America, they're going to see you as a black man, right? They're not going to automatically know you're Korean. However, right. last year during the pandemic, there was a rise in anti-Asian hate crimes. How was that 
a conversation in New Orleans. I know New York and California experienced it. And I just wanted to know how was that environment like in New Orleans and how are your conversations? Yeah, the, um, I didn't see anything or hear anything down here. I just don't think any, like, that stuff is like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I know I say that stuff, but like, I know where I am. This is the South. So let's, let's like say that stuff. And well, it used to be public displays when it came to certain people, but not, not, not the Asian community down here. The Asian community is like deep down here in terms of the Vietnamese. Like they, they run like a whole parts of the city. So I, I, I would be scared if anybody did anything to the Asian community down here. It may not, it might be the last time they, there's gators down here in swamps. You might not see that person anymore, but we, we just definitely made a, made a point of it to like speak up and say something like, you know, we, we definitely, the crew, we ran out in the East and we highlighted a couple of spots and we wanted to make sure that, you know, just to let everybody know it's like, it's a solidarity thing more than anything else. Right. And like, and, and of course, especially with me, um, you know, like the, the, the events in, in Atlanta with the ladies, the Korean ladies and stuff like that, that's like, you know, that's, that's, that's way too close to home for me. Like I like the phone calls, I couldn't even listen to them. Cause like, I was like, oh man, like, like, like I got like, half a second 30 seconds into it and I had to turn it off because it's like just wrenching me because it's like mom's Korean like you know I, I know how those ladies like they're just too much and so like yeah it's like you know I made sure to to make to be to be loud as I could about it to bring up conversation with whoever you can and make sure like you know those people are bringing up conversation and constantly pushing for it because you know it, it was just it's still it's still not clear right we still need to make sure that we're still having those conversations and pushing you said that your mom is is the reason why you moved to new orleans is she still there and now and what does she think about it especially you know because she has a son who is black and is asian so for her as a parent does she worry about you when you go running what are what are the conversations with her like my mom's probably worried about me my whole life like uh and i mean that in a good way and in a bad way like i never really it's one of those things you know you know like when you're young you don't think about it right you don't worry you don't think about your parents like worrying about you and stuff like that and getting anxious and stuff like that like but it's definitely something that i think of i started thinking of a lot more probably within like you know six years seven years something like that it's like it, and it and it hurts me sometimes i think about it and i'm like ah oh, man like you know it's it's deep because like she, my mom worried about me when I went to Korea, you know, she was worried about that. I was going to like, you know, it hurt because Koreans sometimes can be like unaccepting if you know, in the situation, whatever it might be. She was worried that I was going to get to Korea and people were going to be like, Oh, you're not Korean. And I was going to be hurt. But you know, I was like, no, I'm not, don't sweat that. Cause I'm, I mean, she did a good job of letting us know who we are and stuff like that. Um, so my mom, yeah, she still worries about me in terms of like, like, you know, and running and being in the South and, and she's very aware of like the history of a country and, um, you know, the way that people tend to have um, stereotypes or beliefs about people with skin, like people of black people. She like, she's very aware of, of, of like, of what goes on in America and how that works. Um, yeah, and so she, of course, I know she worries about me. She is, she splits her time between myself my sister in Columbus and my sister in Boston. Uh, and then she's also had, she has like friends in New York. So she's kicking with so She's actually in New York. That's where I was up there. That's why I was up there like last week. I was kicking with my moms. I hadn't seen her since the COVID madness. So it was good to see my mom hang out with her um, and, and hang out and do some stuff with her beside all the running. Um, but yeah, so like she, yeah, she worries about me. And like, and I worry about her. Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's wild like to think of that. Like, 
You know, it's always, people always talk about that when you get older, you, when your parents get older, you start worrying about them, stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, of course, you know, you always worry about your parents, but like, you don't want, you know, all this stuff started popping off. Um, you know, like she wasn't in New York at the time. She was like with my sister. So I was like super grateful for all that. Cause like, you know, all that, I was freaking out. I was like going crazy because I'll catch a case if any of that stuff happens to my mom, man. I'm trying, that's fact. So. No, but I just mean like just a little bit more specific in, in the sense that your mom knows that you run, that you're the leader of the run group, right? And then, you know, Ahmad Arbery is murdered while running and in the South. I mean, I know like every parent is going to worry about that, but I just wonder, like, like you said, like your mom being aware of who you are and what you look like and what you're doing, how did you have that conversation with her? And because I know like my mom, you know, she was telling her friends and things and she's like, you know, that like, like my daughter runs too, but I, you know, for her, my heart worry is like, as a woman is different. So I'm just wondering like this like specific example because it was so violent, it was so obvious, you know? So I just wonder like, what did your mom say to you about that? My mom didn't really talk up, she didn't know, I told her about it. I told her about Ahmaud Arbery and we talked about it. It was so like, from there, it was like, kind of like, she was like, well, make sure you're safe. But like my mom's had conversations about like just race in the South. When I decided to move to New Orleans, we had that conversation, um, you know, and it was, it was wild having this conversation with my mom because you're like, she's like, you know, saying that like, you know what people down here think about people like with people your skin color. And it's like, like, and she wasn't saying it like, you know, like in a stereotypical or malicious way, she was like saying it in terms of being like, yeah, it's the South. Like, you know, like it's, you're gonna be in situations where, um, you know, if, if somebody thinks that you just, you know, like just anything, like don't, just like the classic, like don't be in a spot where you, you can disappear or slash, like, you know, something bad can happen to you and you're the only person that can defend yourself or whatever, like, you know, just don't put yourself in those situations. We've had those situations, but those talks a million times. Um, but after I told her about the run and, and who it was and what was going on, yeah, she definitely like, was like, don't run in places like that, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, of course, mom, I'm not trying to run in places like that, but like, you know, she, but she was definitely about that more and she, she's more aware of it now. Um, I think that it's more of one of those things that she um, just assumes that where I'm running is probably not going to be a spot like that. But we, know, we don't know if that's ever a spot. Like, you know, like it's obviously I'm in the South, so it's more common probably or more likely to happen here than I probably imagine in New York. But with females, wherever, obviously with ladies, it's an issue everywhere. And, you know, you just, I think Inez just brought up in my mind about the talk. You know, you grew up also as a black man and your mother probably never gave you, you know, the talk. And for anybody mm -hmm. who understands the talk is just how some black parents have given their sons instructions on what to do if they were pulled over or how to behave around white people in America because people have these biases and may mistreat black people based on their own stereotype and bias. And I just realized your mother's Korean. She's, and she wasn't from this country. So she wouldn't understand the talk. So I'm assuming she didn't have it with you. Did you have it with your father? Or how was, you know, your awareness of being treated differently for being black? Um, yeah, I mean, of course we had to talk when I was like super young. My dad was a realist. Like he, he like hardcore, like 30, plus years in the military, 
like, but not like pencil pushing stuff. He was like infantry, you know, gangster. Like, like it's funny. My friend was like, yo, your dad was GI Joe. Um, and he's like, just the dude was gangster. So like, anyway, like we, he was also a realist though. So he just, we never got things candy coated when we were young. Um, and when we had to talk, my mom was there too. My mom was right there. Like she hundred percent understood the talk. Like, um, my, my mom understood it because I think she also realized that growing up, just being different in America was bad. Like, I'm sure my mom wasn't not, she was very privy to what racism was of being an, an Asian woman in America, like by herself. Um, so like, I, I think that's the reason she could have, she like, my mom's always had that idea. Like, she always, I think the empathy has always been there in terms of like being treated wrong or treated different. Cause like, you know, it still happens now. Like, you know, I will go out places with my mom and, and people like, you know, will just treat my mom a certain way because she's this tiny little Asian woman. And like, you know, she's like, or like, seems like she doesn't think she knows what she's talking about. You know, she doesn't go for that. Like, she'll, she'll like, she'll call somebody out on it. So like, you know, it's, so I think there was just more of empathy. So when we had to talk as a child, as it, like as a family, and it's like more of a family thing, like than it was with anything. And it, whenever we had that, it was like everybody was there, like myself and my sisters. It was like you know, because it was going to be one of those things that all of us like were going to have to go through. It wasn't going to be just one of us. It was going to be all of us. So uh, we, yeah, everybody was there, 100 percent in tune. Can. Can you talk about why you wanted to do your first marathon in Korea um, and how you, you know, got yourself into distance running of that level? Yeah, I just wanted to go home, man. I wanted to do it. Like, I felt like I, I like, you know, like where, you, where I lived in Korea was is like the place is like called Jeju. Like I say, it's just like this magical island. They say like you're supposed to like, you know, give back to the island or whatever. And, and I felt like, you know, my first marathon, I was like, man, what a better place in the island to run it. Like, that's, that's got to be, like, best way for me to get back to Jeju, to get back to that island and run that race. Worst thing I ever did in my life. <laughs> it was like, you know, like, I was just, the race was brutal. Um, and I made it harder myself. That's, it was my own fault. That's sorry. I didn't respect the running gods. But played in the beach volleyball tournament from, like, 6 a.m. to, like, 6 p.m. the day before. And I was like, man. <laughs> And I was talking about, yeah, I'm going to run this race and come back. We'll win this tournament. No big deal. It was dumb, man. It was like, I was crazy. And then I just, I died. It was like, it was brutal. But I still love that island. I got to go back and get the, I got to get that race in again. But I really don't want to run it, man. It's like, there's no shade. It's like the sun. It's like the coastal road. I was cursing myself, like halfway through. I was so mad at myself because I was like, what? You didn't take this one through. There's no shade. Like, oh my God. And like me and no shade is like, that's, that's death. Like I, I sweat crazy and it's like, I, I'm already, already hot all the time. So if it's already extra warm, it's going to end bad. I think, I think we all learn the hard way sooner or later about respecting the distance. The marathon will smack you in the face if you think you can overtake it. Right. That never works out for anybody. <laughs> it's 26.2 is 26.2, man. It's, it's not, it's like, it's, especially when you're running it hard, it's like, oh, no, 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 it's dumb. Like, I said, even if I wouldn't, didn't run it hard, I was, I, I would have died. It was, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> so let's go back to like March 2020, and now uh, you are the host city for Bridge the Gap. How did that come about, and what did you want know, the NOLA experience to add to the Bridge the Gap legacy? Um, that came about because we, when we first started, uh, we went to BTG DC 
um, out in, in the cherry blossom stuff. And it was amazing. And we were like, yo, let, let's, it'd be great to have one of these. Um, so at the time, we were three captains deep. Um, and so it was a lot of work between those three, myself, Trey, and Lindsay. Um, and it was a lot of work. Uh, I've, at the, I'm an ambassador for Lululemon, so they grace, like, graciously invested in my, me and my beliefs and my, and my thoughts of what I wanted to do. And so they helped you know, fund that as well as gave us some hooks up with the shirts. Um, and it was just, it came about because we wanted to make it happen. Uh, we didn't think it was going to happen there because, you know, the COVID thing. So we were actually, it's crazy, but the day before we were all sitting around and we were like, are we going to do this? Like, should we cancel it? It was like, I think it was the, like, Charlie was supposed to fly in. It was two days before we started because Charlie was supposed to fly in the next day. And I was like, do we call them? Cause he called him like, do we cancel our flight? He's him and like, him, him Sanchez, like, did we cancel our flight? I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know, I don't know. Like, and so we're like freaking out. Um, but we said, let's just go. Like, we'll, we'll go with it and then we'll, we'll, you know, what's the worst case scenario? Like, didn't knowing, you know, we hindsight's 2020. Um, so, and it, it just ended up going through. Um, but it helped by uh, having input and, and getting guidance from like, you know, the different crews that have done it, like Parkdale. Uh, Mike Caprico is very helpful in helping out. It, um, obviously, Mike Safe, Cedric, and they were great. They helped out a lot with a lot of information. Um, they also chipped in, and like the bridge, bridge runners are always done, like, you know, super helpful with everything we always do and always been um, very, very, very like supportive. Um, and then we also, the big thing we wanted to do was is we, we wanted to promote NOLA and like the culture, the culture of the city, and like we wanted to push NOLA. And that's what we are and that's who we are. This is how we do it. Um, and and make sure that everybody just had a good time. But like at the same time, it was just like dripping with like 504 NOLA. Like it was just gonna be the city's culture. That's what we wanted to do. We wanted to make sure that when you left that situation and that that place, when you left NOLA, when you left BTG NOLA, you were like, yo, I I did New Orleans. Like I did New Orleans right. And so like, that's that's what we wanted to do. And we also wanted to make sure that Obviously, like, you know, BTG, the whole tie in the community, everybody tied in the community somehow. We, want, we wanted to make sure we gave back to um, Youth Run Nola, the other, the nonprofit I spoke about earlier. So we, we tied the registration. Everybody's registration automatically went to, they have, a, they have a race they run every year called the 504K. And so we tied that into the registration and part of the programming. And so it does, if you registered, you, you like, you paid for a registration bid for, you like you paid for that and then all the money we made we just gave it to them too so we didn't make any money off of that so we were trying to make any money so you, you kind of jumped into like my follow-up question so i guess we're doing a good job in getting you talking <laughs> so what why why was it important to to connect with like youth run nola um well it's it's, it's important because small we if you anybody that knows or anybody that's worked with nonprofits knows that small independent ones like tend to get lost in the crowd and they tend to like lose a lot of the money to like the massive ones that are like, you know, not saying the massive ones aren't doing a good job and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, but a lot of times they get, they're getting so much money that like they can't, they don't even have to do the money. Um, and then you have smaller ones that need the money. Um, and so we just felt like it was a no brainer. Um, so when we first started the 504, uh, Denali Lander was, the one of the founders of uh, Youth Run Nola, and she was also one of the founders of the crew. So 
Um, even by this time, she already stepped down from her role as captain, but we, we just felt like it was a no-brainer, like taking, um, you know, giving money to a program where it's, it's talking about empowering um, youth, and in particular, youth, youth of color and, and like empowering through running. We felt like it was like, you know, bang, bang, easy, 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 easy tie-in, not hard at all. Um, and we have like a lot of a lot of our crew already works with 504. So, or, I'm sorry, with youth running all that as it is in terms of volunteering and all that stuff. So it it just made it just it made everything easy for us in terms of like it, it giving the mind to them, transition and all that stuff like here 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 it was great. Okay, so now you have this your big uh, debutante party, today. <laughs> uh, and now the world shuts down. How did that impact your crew, the runners, the people that were coming regularly? for the last four years, what did you guys do? How did you stay connected? Uh, yeah, I mean, initially, like I said, when it shut down, it shut down. So we stopped doing runs just like anybody else. We did what was right um, and we didn't do it. Um, you know, we opened up probably a little bit sooner than everybody else because we're the South and you know, that's how it works sometimes science ain't king. But uh, in terms of when we were out and we were like completely not meeting at all though, uh, we did, we tried to do as much as we could in terms of virtual run and like, you know, check in, send us the virtual run, we'll tag, we'll, put, we'll send the post, we'll, we'll add it on, um, you know, but things got tough but there for a while. We have like a lot of people that are runners that are solo or single and, and like there were definitely conversations times where we had to make sure like you had to reach out and talk to these people because uh, like people got lonely. I remember having a conversation with one of the runners and he was like going to meet up with him and talking, whatever, and he just super sad, super down. And I was like, yo, you feel you all right? And he's just like, man, I'm just like, I'm just alone. I'm just lonely. Like, he's like, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm just, I don't know myself and my dog. That's it. It's like, I'm, you know, I'm bored and sad. And so I, felt, I felt bad. So I was like, I remember having an open up conversation with a couple of the captains and being like, hey, let's, uh, let's make sure we're checking in on the people and, you know, and making sure everybody's doing okay and, and stuff like that. So I know people were definitely like, there was conversations being had. I know myself was doing it and then other people were doing it. So, uh, Harold, you mentioned a moment ago that you're uh, an ambassador for Lululemon and you recently ran in the speed project under team Lululemon um, with, you know, ambassadors and employees. So can you just talk about how you became an ambassador and what it was like to have coffee as a teammate? Yeah. Um, that's important. I mean, like, the, the, well, coffee as a teammate was, that's the, that's, that's the most gangster part, man. It was awesome to hang out with him for that long. I mean, he's, He's such an inspiration. That dude is crushing it right now, man. And like, I just love what he's doing and how he's doing it. Like, and I've all, I've known Power. I think I know I've known Power longer than I've known Coffee. And so like, Power's energy is ridiculous. And so like, running coach has is so dope. And and I love what they're doing. And like, it, we did a collabo down here with them. Like, like it's one of the days that they did. We did it down here with them, and it was it was just so so beautiful to be a part of it, man. And I love what both of them are doing. And and you ask Coffee, you let him know. Like, I saved his life in the desert let him know i saved his life he bonked and i and me and pedialyte saved his life and you if he's got a bottle of pedialyte in his hands because i made him an addict so that that was that was me i apologize but at the same time he now he loves it he knows but yeah I, it was amazing like it was it was so it was it was really cool to be out there to, to experience that and especially um like you know you know, I was fortunate enough because of COVID that I was actually one of the people that could do it because I'm sure if COVID was going on, there, a lot more people that could do it than me. But anyway, like I was super grateful, super, super grateful to Lululemon for letting me do that. And and I, 
I became an ambassador for Lululemon. I'm in my third year now, third term with them in terms of ambassadorship, which is pretty cool. I'm excited about that. And then um, I, it started because my friend actually told the store managers that they should pick me because they initially tried to pick him. And he actually was brave enough. My friend Trey actually was brave enough to say to the store manager at the time, you guys are fools because your walls have nobody of color on on them. And so like, how are you going to be in New Orleans and not have any ambassadors of color? And so he's like, he gave him a list of 10 people um, that he was like, I can give you 10 people. And he goes, if you give me another two minutes, I'll give you another 15. Like, you know, he's just, you know, like I said, he's, that's how I became an ambassador. I mean, he was brave enough to step up and say something. Um, and then I, I don't know, they just, I, they spoke to me and I, I didn't know what was going to happen, but like, yeah. And then I said, jumped on board and they've been great. And they've been super, uh, um, to, to me, it's been super transparent. Like I, I thought that maybe it was a little too transparent to start, but that was because that was just like, that's how easy they are. You know, it's chill, it's like, it's loose. So, and I was just more concerned of um, if there was ever gonna be a time when they were like, you can't say this, or you can't do that. Um, and they haven't. Um, they let me say my piece in the way I wanna say it. Um, there's no, there's been no stifleness of like my voice or anything like that. And then anything I've usually tried to do, they're there to champion me through it. So I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm super grateful to be on board with them again and let's keep making good stuff happen. So you, it's been smooth sailing in that way, but did you think in the beginning, like, uh, there, you know, maybe this is just going to be for show. It's going to be going through the motions. I'm going to be someone to, you know, advertise, but they're not going to really connect with me or listen to me. Did you have those thoughts? Um, I think, um, I didn't know what, I didn't know what I was signing up for initially, to be honest with you. I thought that I was like, man, I don't know what's going on, but I figured I could just say yes and figure it yeah, go as we can figure it out as we go. But, uh, there was definitely a little apprehensiveness at first because of uh, of just like what Lululemon is and uh, like you know the just like there's not too many people of color in general just in on their advertising and their like you know marketing any of the stuff back then as well as like like I said like I didn't see any ambassadors before that I could talk to and, and talk about this stuff with and maybe connect and ask them questions about it so like you know um, it, it was a little apprehensive on those terms. Um, but I've always been raised in a place like, you know, be open and stay open to people and they'll be open to you. Like, you know, obviously, you know, and, and then see, see what's going on and ask questions and to the point where people are like, stop asking questions and stuff like that. And like, you know, you only get as much as you put in. And so I just, you know, just kept asking questions and asking if they would like to support me on this and things like that. And they've, and like I said, they've always been there and super, super grateful for them. And, yeah, well, hopefully I don't trigger any PTSD, but how was running the speed project? Running in the <laughs> desert, running in the desert, no shade, just like Jeju was no shade. So, you know, it was hot. It was hot. It was crazy hot. So like, that was like those miles, like when, when it was that hot, you had to go to a mile, but in general, uh, it was dope, man. Like it was, it was unbelievable. It was like one of those things where, just the views and like the situation, like, like there's time, like I remember just at one point I was running at night and it was dark and I just I'm turn my lights off and just be completely like, you know, I'm in the dark, dark, like this is, you're out here, nobody's here, it's wild. Uh, it, it was amazing. Um, I like running and I like running in stupid situations like that. Like 
you know, being like, oh, it's going to probably suck, but it's going to be fun. Like type two fun is what I call it. It's going to be type two fun. And so like, I'm cool with type two fun. I like type two fun with probably a little bit more than I should. Um, so I was really, really excited for it. Um, and I'm doing it next year too. I'm going to be doing it next year with the crew. The five that was my, fo- that was my follow-up yeah. question. <laughs> I was going to say, would you do it again? I, I know. I know. I want to, I want to run. I want to go day. back. I want to do round trip though. I want to go oh. there and back. That's what I want to do. I want to like try to like convince some people to go back with me, um, which I, I, I might have a couple. I have enough crazies in the crew that are allowed to be down with it. But like they definitely are like, yo, we got to get the party. And I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm the party. But like, I want to run back. I want to run back. So we'll figure it out. We'll see if we're going to get that done. <laughs> so I have a, a follow up question about what you said, how you became a Lululemon ambassador, because you said that basically they went to Trey, Trey, who is white for those who don't know. And and then when he decides to have his conversation with you, what was that like? Because I also, I'm also wondering, like you said, you know, Lululemon, they just, they're, they're kind of new into the scene of like athletics. And I guess maybe they just haven't had the reach to diversify who they have in their advertising. But what was that conversation like with you and Trey when he's like, they came to me but I told them that they should pick you. Like, what was that like? Uh, he just like, I, I, I didn't know what it was. Like, I, just, I was like, I don't know what it is. And I was kind of being skeptical about it, whatever, whatever. And then he kind of was just talking me through it and telling me whatever. And he was just like, look, man, he goes, he was like, if they ask, he's like, if they ask you, they want you, whatever. He was just kind of trying to make sure I took it. That's what it was. He was like, kind of being like, hey, look, like this is bigger, you know, I'm not saying it's bigger than you or whatever, but like, you know, there's an opportunity for us to get somebody on the wall that doesn't look like most people. So like he was like, you know, trying to make sure I didn't want to pass up on it more or less. So he just like, he told me about it. And like, I don't, you know, I don't care. Like, like, you know, I'm not going to be stressed about that, whatever. He didn't mean it as a slight. He was trying to tell him like, look, you know, like, you know, got to change it, whatever, whatever. And he was like, cool. And it was, it was like, when he said that, it was kind of like a motivational, it'll be, oh, he's right. Like, you know, make sure like, it's kind of clipping my head. Like, ah, make sure he is right. We have to make sure like, even if it's just for a week, who cares, whatever, like however long it's supposed to be, let's, let's, let's change it somehow. And then hopefully we can get more people to look like, that look like this on the wall that represents the community. And those people can see those people on the walls and be like, Hey, they look like me. I can do that stuff too. And then bingo, bango, the world is saved, right? <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was looking for your, your aha moment because you said, you know, the 504 has been about, you guys are a diverse group. You go through different parts of the city to show, you know, representation. Like you, as a black man, running through different parts, and then now, here's an opportunity to just to not just be running, but also be part of the marketing of a company that hasn't had yeah. one like you. So your hot moment was like, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's great, man. Like it's they've even opened it up and they've let me. Um, uh, I'm, I'm a part of an ambassador board there. So uh, we sit down and we have conversation every month with other ambassadors and other people in, higher up on the board. It's great. And so like, it seems like they're listening. Um, they are invested in making changes that are better for the future of uh, just humanity. Like, you know, not, not just, uh, you know, just one group of people, but like they realize that by making it better for humanity, it's like, hey, we got to balance off this, the issue that we have in terms of, um, you know, 
equality and pay for women as well as like equality in terms of positions of people of color and stuff like that it seems like they're committed to it um or at least definitely making the right steps like from the stuff i'm dealing with and i've, I've worked with them and that that stuff is more important to me than anything else like you know um trying to work for the end roads like you know this is all sweat and it's all it's all said and done like we're just, just miles of working out whatever it is but it's like in the reality of it it's like don't we all want to be in a place like where like whatever my run group is or your workout group and stuff like that like it, it ultimately is it's kind of like a it's like a microcosm of the world you want to live in right that's like ultimately what you want to do so like that's what we're trying to like push and build with like you know like in partnership that's why i'm trying to push in part and build a partnership with lululemon and like obviously the crew is the easiest way for us to push it down here in nola is like to build that like this like this is the world we want to live in this is the stuff we want to promote and promote and push like this this is how you can come be a part of it this is how you can come be a part of it so well great i guess we'll we'll make sure to uh, uh remind coffee that he's also an ambassador with you now and that you know you would always carry pedialyte for him yeah but, uh, so that and then you mentioned before that you know your first marathon was terrible because it was so hot and not here you are running in the desert did this experience <laughs> at all change your approach to running your relationship with running um i mean running's always been in this one i mean it's running no no like i think running i think i think i went into the mindset of team, the speed project with like um what running already is to us so like i've always been under the impression that running is a team sport it's not like an individual sport like you know it's it's you know you just like a any other sport you can get love from other people and like it makes you feel better and like you're getting those having that support and stuff like that that's what running is running is a team sport it's always been a team sport so like speed project was like going to be a dream to me i couldn't wait like you know i i, I love like just sitting down and being able to talk to people forever um but like yeah and To be honest with you, I'm actually doing another 100 mile race. I've already got 100 mile, but I'm doing another one coming up in August, which is really stupid. Um, and I shouldn't have did this one with my friends. I need new friends named Sonic for the Lotto with him. And so like, like I was kind of like, yeah, it's training, right? But like, I, like I'm already been crazy about running. So um, I, I just think that running personally, like it's, it's for everyone and there's never enough of it. If you don't want it to be right, you can just stop whenever you're like, it's enough, I'm done. But like, if you're not done, there's always miles to be had. And, um, you know, hopefully out in the miles, you meet people that are like, are just as lovely as open as, as you want them to be. And they're willing to be as conversational and have these thoughts and stuff with you. Where is this hundred, this very stupid hundred miler that you're going to embroil yourself in? It's in Leadville, Colorado. Oh, nice. Leadville, you got it into Leadville? Yeah. Wow. Impressive. It's not hard to get into, I've heard of recently, because I know it could happen to me. <laughs> it's like the lottery means you're not supposed to get in. <laughs> I got in. What's going on? <laughs> Someone <laughs> gets in. The, my friend told me they're pretty generous with the lottery. He's like, you know, like the next day I see him after the lottery. He's like, we got to start working on a plan for Leadville. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to run it. And he's like, no, man, the lottery's really generous. And I'm like, what are you talking about? How generous. He's like one in three. I'm like one in three? That's an RSVP, man. That's not like, like, that's, like I'm there. I wouldn't sign up for it. So like, that's all right. I'm here now. I'm, I got, I'm, it's going to happen. So I have to do it. So. Nice. Good luck. Just finished. That's the goal. <laughs> well, and now well, let's talk about finishing. Now we have reached our final segment of the podcast, the hot mic. 
And that's where you're going to get to speak uninterrupted for two minutes. Um, here you get to leave the audience with a message about anything you like, um, the best restaurants in Marlins, or your favorite jambalaya <laughs> recipe. Uh, cool. I'm not really good at this stuff, but we'll figure it out. I'll, I'll say something. So don't, that always makes for go. the best. <laughs> I, I get the stopwatch. All right. And three, two, one. Uh, my message would just be that uh, for anybody that thinks running is not for you, I want to say it's for everyone. Um, running is the most ultimate human sport. It's the whatever they tell you you do or don't you do you need for it. You don't need that stuff. Like you know, uh, if it's hard, it's good. Just remember, it's going to be hard at first, but keep putting the effort in. It'll pay off. Um, and use running to be. Let's use running to bring it together. Like instead of all the, in the world we live in where it's different, everything, everybody's trying to find what makes us different. Let's find that bond between running and let's, let's build it together and, and bring that unity together. Two minutes? No? No, that was like 20 minutes. Was it? <laughs> that was like our most seconds. <laughs> 36 seconds. That is a very succinct That's That's and on point message. Oh, man. Yeah. Hard. I mean, like, I Harold. You, you can definitely talk more because I've heard about, you know, the funeral parades in New Orleans. Those can be like eight hour things, even going to brunch. I mean, come through. If you want to come to NOLA, come through. Like, I, you know how it is. Always love down here. We always show love. If you come to NOLA, holler at your boy. Like, holler at any of us. Like, you just look up the Father floor, check us out. We got you, man. We're, we'll always take you out. Red beans on Monday. You know, I mean, I guess the jazz funeral's cool, but you don't really want the funeral still. Like, you know, it's kind of sad, but it's still dope. Like, you know, if you can come down during a uh, Mardi Gras Indian time, it's Super Sunday. That's beautiful. You know, come check I'm, down. I'm coming back to New Orleans. I mean, I've already been there twice. And I'm come definitely going to. We're always so, open. We're always ready for everyone. I feel like you and I have run physically in the same circles at a lot. Probably. I, like, I imagine. Well, I mean, dude, let's talk about the first night, the 504th ever, like, ever went out for like with the bridge runners let's talk about that night have you like, recently yeah. <laughs> have you recently ran like i think you were up in new york recently did you run with them yeah just last weekend i was just up there last week or was that last week maybe two weeks ago now uh yeah two weeks, two weeks, two weeks ago two yeah weeks. yeah but yeah I, i'm glad that you brought this up because i <laughs> i think when i was talking to you about being on the podcast like i mentioned this like i remember you because it was the first night I ran with Bridge Runners. Um, thank you, Sandra, for dragging me. And yeah. we ran from headquarters in the Lower East Side, not even headquarters. It was like at a restaurant. I think Nacho knew someone and we just left our stuff in there. And we ran over to like the Williamsburg Bridge. We ran the Pulaski. And by then, like I hadn't yet started really running like distances, like half marathon, that was it. And then, you know, people are like, oh, excited. And you guys were there. They took it like, yeah, the crew from New Orleans is here. And I remember <laughs> we get to the foot. Now we are at the foot of the, in Queens, in the foot of the bridge. And they're like, we got to go over. And I'm like, I'm good. I could just hop on a train right here and I have no problem. <laughs> and that's when Ty comes over and he's like, well, and Mike too, he's like, well, if you go home, we all go home. We all go home. <laughs> you go, we, you, you, she goes, we all go, or we all go over the bridge. That's what it was. And guess what we did? 
We went over that bridge. They call that a triple bypass. As they, as yeah, I, I think I might have been there for that night because I used to run a lot of their doubles. And it was like I think I did a quadruple one night with them. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you have. They're crazy. Like, but like <laughs> that was like that. That was the first time. That was like that was like our valid. That to me, that was I was like, yo, all right, I'm on. I'm on. Fuck with this BPG shit. Like it was like these. That night was like, oh, these dudes are cool. These dudes are cool, and they're not. They're not fake. They're authentic, you know what I mean? And they're real and even more so they're opening. They're opening and it was like, there was no like bullshit. And he, and he was dead serious too. He was dead serious when he said that. He was like, we, we either all go on that train or we all go like, or we all go over this bridge. That's all it is. And it was like, big ups. Cause you were like, let's go. You're like, you're like, you're like, I remember you were like, I ain't gonna be the one that, I ain't gonna be the one that said we ain't over this bridge. And I was like, dude, we went over it. I was like, oh, nice, nice. I remember that, yeah. People were telling us we were crazy. They're like, so we no, no, I mean, it's, it's one like night. A, we flew up for one night. Yeah, you guys were here for, for that one night? We flew in Wednesday morning, ran Wednesday night, and flew out Thursday morning. That's what I would do. Yeah. So <laughs> the first person, we, first person we met, Sean Baez. So we thought we were late. Oh, my we God, Baez. We were, running, we were running to the, like, we were running to the run, and all of a sudden, Baez just runs up. Where y'all going? Where y'all going? We were like, uh, go to the run. He's like, y'all good. Y'all, y'all late. And then, like, we were like, he's like, where y'all from? I'm like, New Orleans. And he's like, oh man, y'all from New Orleans? Like, yeah. It's like, yeah. He's like, oh, how long y'all in town for? We're like, oh, we fly out tomorrow morning. He was like, what? He's like, y'all flew up just to run with these fools? He's like, yeah. And he's like, and he's like, yo, these fools right up. He's like yelling. It's like, yo, these fools right up. Cool. Yep, that's bias. Crazy, man. It was like, it was like, it was cool. But like, like, yeah, like I said, it was like that night was like, oh, okay. That that like kind of when I, I turned the switch that night, it was like I was like, oh, I'm gonna go a little bit hammer on this. Wait, what night is a five oh fourth run? Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. All we right, so that means I gotta fly on in on Fridays, a Tuesday though. morning. So we do, we do Tuesday. <laughs> I was like, all right, I gotta fly in on a Tuesday morning, run with y'all, yeah, and then fly back out on Wednesday. As soon as I quit my job, which I plan to quit soon, I know I have to get this. <laughs> I'm just gonna be like flying to all of our guests and just showing up for a run. I swear, <laughs> mark my words. Yeah, we got as, you. We got plenty. As gives me my gear, so I could just keep rocking it while I'm running with you guys. <laughs> we got you. We got you. <laughs> You might have to talk to Lululemon about getting some shirts that said, let's get uncomfortable. Oh, you know? that's like, like we know people. There we go. We might, we, me and Coffee might be able to get some shirts worked out. We might have to be able to do something like that. We might have to work something out. We'll be the, <laughs> we'll be the journalistic ambassadors for Lululemon. There we go. There we go. You got to keep it funky at all times, though. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a great way to end the show. Um, I want to thank our guest, Harold Dale Jr., for giving us some New Orleans representation, some South Korea representation, African-American representation, bringing the Southern hospitality, also puncturing that myth a little bit, telling us what it's like all over the world. Um, been brought such energy, and it's been a pleasure to have you, and it'll be wonderful to keep in touch and you know, maybe just fly down for three hours to go run with you one night. I'd also like to thank my co-hosts, Inez and Jamie um, and of course you the listener we will talk to you next time on Let's Get Uncomfortable Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable If you enjoyed this episode please subscribe, rate and review us on the App Store and follow us on Spotify <laughs>